Hi, I'm Samiran. Hi, I'm Nilesh. Hi, I'm Sheetal, and you're listening to Three TV. Three Techies Banter. Hey, hi, this is Samiran. Welcome to Three TV, Three Techies Banter. This is our podcast where Nilesh, Sheetal, and I explore tech the non-tech way. Uh, we look at technology, we look at the economics, uh, and the logic behind what is happening, and uh, try to make sense of it all so that you know you go away with something that you can talk about with friends. First of all, I must uh, thank all our listeners for uh, helping us make it to the top ten uh, trending podcasts in India. So thank you very much for that. In today's episode, we have decided that since it's the beginning of the year we are going to be talking about trends that will touch our lives in 2022 but we'll do this uh, trends with a bit of a twist really looking at trends in large buckets and nilesh sheetal and i will try and explain to you the logic behind why this qualifies as a trend why we think it might be real why we think it may not be real because trends really are you know it's like anybody's guess I have uh, my canine friend Toffee right here, so let me just ask her what she thinks the trends for 2022 will be. So, so Toffee, what do you think it will be? What are your friends saying? So, uh, according to what I can interpret from Toffee, she seems to think that it's going to be AI, blockchain, and the metaverse. So, that is your guess is as good as mine. But uh, obviously, there is more to technology than this. and uh, that's where you know we come in what we are also going to do is that right through the show we will be interspersing it with some interesting facts figures and nuggets uh, which uh, will make all of this much more relatable so do stay with us through the show to to just make this all fun and an interesting experience for all of us so let's just get started with uh, what we think is going to happen just taking the cue from toffee in the world of uh, maybe ai metaverse the blockchain i think there is a lot of talk about this whole thing around ai ops and no code and others so nilesh what have you been hearing what is going on here so you know toffee has picked up a very interesting trend close to my heart we are definitely you know no code has been around for a very long time in our company the arkethic public blockchain we are trying to create a smart contract platform which is a no code platform right so if you look at most of the other blockchains ethereum uh, and you know the solana or or cardano you have to go ahead and learn a language to do the smart contract programming and now when you look at smart contract programming if you're talking of this whole decentralization you also want to decentralize the knowledge and the ability has to become very you know you have to democratize the ability of programming and you cannot do that by introducing another language right so i have to learn solidity to do anything on the ethereum so what we thought at arkethic uh, as a no code platform was to create something which was you know drag and drop nothing new i mean we already have blockly and scratch which are already kind of doing that for quite some time but the twist here was that we want to create kind of a business specific modeling language and merge it with this whole drag and drop to create a rich interface a no code interface which helps end users create smart contracts without knowledge of a coding platform so no code is not new 
the trend i would like to talk about in no code which i am we personally also thought about it and i believe is catching up is vertical or domain specific no code platforms what i mean by that is blockly and scratch are actually abstracting the code constructs so they are not domain specific they are not talking of health tech or legal tech or e-commerce they are just abstracting the code constructs in a visual form whereby i can drag and drop and a if loop or a for loop gets created right if then else for loops are created the trend that i am witnessing is that slowly you need to move from just the abstraction of the code constructs to actually domain specific abstractions so you will see no code platforms in my mind which are very closely aligned to let's say health tech right or very closely aligned to e-commerce and you will see that samiran in in past you remember those days when we started with web servers but then you moved to commerce server right so it was no longer the web server which can host everything but you tried to create servers which were meant for e-commerce or you started creating very domain specific client server architecture i have a feeling that no code is also going to move in that area where you will create more verticalization more domain specific constructs coming no, absolutely in fact uh, just for the benefit of everyone listening in so uh, like nilay said i mean no code is not really mysterious or different uh, but it's definitely come to the fore because what the pandemic has taught us is that we will have very very short cycle times to deploy any kind of code out there and you cannot really rely on talent and expertise uh, which is why more and more platforms are coming up uh, if if you want to kind of think of it in simple terms you know think of uh, the hubspot crm suite think of mailchimp wiz.com any tool any set of uh, developer tools or programs that is helping you build out solutions in a templatized manner without needing to have the technical expertise to build it i think that is the big big change and in fact the, what nilesh mentioned was also very interesting is that you know there are kind of in my mind there are kind of two or couple of buckets in the ai or no code no code world so just kind of marrying the two you know one is of course the large powerhouses like the microsofts the googles the apples aws's who are building it there are other developer tools and then there is of course this whole world of vc backed companies which are new nimble uh, organizations and here as a departure from other things we'll kind of kind of name a few you know there is companies called data robot there is sigzi there is asher there is obviously dot ai so there are a whole bunch of companies that have got received funding and who are applying this technology to different parts of the no code world two three ones uh, i'll kind of call out before we jump to the next trend you know in banking you have the signzy uh, that they, they are doing a no code ai platform for verification and onboarding i think in the media world we've got something called runway that's doing an ai based photo and video editing toolkit and similar there is another one in insurance so net of it is that in the, the no code world is seeing a lot of interest for the obvious reason that there is a shortage of talent and there is a shortage of runway to deploy code and before we kind of jump off the ai bandwagon you know the the ai world itself also you know at, at the one extreme obviously we have the artificial general intelligence uh, of uh, artificial human 
But in between that, there is a lot of work happening in the world of AI ops, which is like, you know, think of it as DevOps, but AI powered. So, you know, you're using machine learning to find effects and all of that. You're using, uh, there is a lot of work going on in the area of ethics and governance. So I think all of this in the AI space will start coming together in 2022. Whether it will happen on the 31st of December 2022 is a little difficult to say, but we're definitely moving in that direction because those are the achievable pieces that companies are, you know, it is being driven by a business priority and economic need. And of course, foreseeable ROI at the end of that tunnel. So I think uh, that's a trend that, you know, we should keep watching. And maybe through the uh, podcast, as we do going forward, we'll kind of touch upon some of these as separate topics uh, and pick that up. Nilesh, you and I were talking about how it's also changing the, the digital workspace, right? And therefore, the fact that in research, for example, we can get respondents across the country, across the globe to come and talk to us, which in itself has changed the kind of value we can bring to research. And uh, Nilesh, you want to talk about the on-deck piece where you're talking about, you know, talent from anywhere and cost arbitrage is losing its edge. So maybe you want to add a bit over there. Absolutely. So, you know, the pandemic has been a great equalizer in more than one ways, right? It has changed the whole mindset and there is this common link across the world. People are working remotely And uh, what I saw, and this is personal experience, and I'll give some other examples also from what I've heard. We have been working remotely for a long time now, just before pandemic itself, we went remote. That was a time when we were still recruiting, and I'm picking recruitment as a trend here. We were still recruiting in a very traditional manner. So we are based in France and India, and we are recruiting in France and India. Now, what this two years of remote working has bought is that I suddenly have access to global talent. And to be honest, for me, it really doesn't matter where the work happens till the time results are delivered, right? So it is less effort-driven and more result-driven. And when once you look at it from that perspective, uh, you're not trying to own the developer's uh, time and mind space, but you're looking at results. And once you get into that paradigm, you can hire from anywhere. I'm talking to developers from Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia. I hired two developers in Serbia. Fantastic experience. Till the time there is a common language, there was absolutely, you know, and code is always there, which became a common language. So it was uh, fascinating. It has opened this whole talent pool that is available to you is now suddenly global. That's a plus point. The cost arbitrage that we were talking about, Sheetal, that is kind of negative from the recruiter perspective. I saw that, you know, when I look at freelance resources in India, or uh, in Europe, the costs are almost similar. So that, you know, being here, you suddenly feel, oh, I'm paying too much. And uh, uh, when you try to negotiate, the person is, you know, it's it's really non-negotiable. So the people are getting paid similar kind of freelancing stuff like in any other part of the world. The cost arbitrage is gone. So it's, it's a great news for job seekers. But the downside for job seekers I now see is that you really are competing with the global workforce, right? So you re- really have to be good. So, you know, the contra to that, honestly, is that I think it's a mindset issue, right? Still, globally, people believe that when they come to economies such as India and a few others, they still believe that we should be cheaper. It is still about cost efficiencies rather than really about, am I getting the best output? And you're right that at some level, 
So what's interesting for me is the fact that the global guys seem to have reduced prices more than the Indian guys having increased prices, if you know what I mean. If if there is a price parity in the services that you seem to be getting, <laughs> because to my mind, I know that as content creators and as research people, I still am asked why, you know, the cost is so high if it is coming from India. And my sense is that there is a mindset shift which will come. And I think the gig economy is going to bring that mindset shift, saying that if the quality and caliber of work is the same, then I should be open to paying similar prices across uh, the globe, right? But I, I still think that there is some some haziness in that so, sense. Really so so you, you, you're right, Sheetal. The way I was talking to someone else and the person said the same thing, you know, why would I not get it done in Bangladesh rather than going to Czechoslovakia? So I said, I think we are looking at it from a two different lens, right? I was looking at it from a lens of my own experience, which came from my own experience, which was I'm looking at a certain talent, which is like Erlang developers. It's a high-end development, back-end protocol development kind of work. The cost arbitrage will still remain in the kind of positions you're looking for. So if I'm looking at something which is not the high-end technology work, there may still be cost arbitrage in economies like Bangladesh and India. And But when you go to that kind of talent, the cost arbitrage is almost diminishing now with work from home. Now, why I picked this, you know, and we were talking about it, you know, as a, as a trend under whether, you know, new way of working or whole metaverse thing, why I, we, I think this is a trend is due to two specific things I experienced. One was I have seen companies and, you know, ads whereby the company is based in, let's say, US and they are trying to find a HR or even you mentioned about a CMO anywhere in the world and especially in India. Now think of a HR head for your company based remotely and you know in a different time zone completely. This is here to stay. Examples of companies where CEO is living in New Zealand, companies registered in US and uh, the, the workforce is in between everywhere. So you have like literally all time zones. So that's one reason for this whole trend. The second reason was very interesting. And this is coming from a, you know, a geopolitical background. There are countries like Portugal who are looking at creation of special immigration policies and probably a different taxation regime where you attract digital workers, right? So there may be a two to five years kind of a visa process. But the fact is you are attracting this digital workforce with uh, low taxation. And what you are saying is that, okay, you, if you are paid the same amount sitting at home in a certain geography, why don't you look at us, come and stay in Portugal? We are, we, the tax is lower, cost of living probably is similar, or maybe it is offset by the lower taxes. And you have the same broadband and a fantastic weather year round, right? This whole piece is here to stay. And I, for one, am a big proponent of it. I love this trend. And I think I really believe this will shape how and where people work. So, you know, no. in fact, I was thinking of this from a trend spotting perspective, you know. So, at the one hand, we are trending on that what is practically possible and others. But, you know, there is this whole other school of thought where, you know, it says that, you know, our brain is very used to extrapolating linearly. And this is a very, very famous Ray Kurzweil example, you know, where he says that, if you take 30 linear steps, you know, you'll probably go 30 feet or 30 meters. But if you take 30 exponential steps, which means like simply doubling every step, then you will be shocked to know that you would have taken a billion 
steps or you know he would have gone a billion meters if each step is a meter which would be a billion meters and he is famously has said that that is about 26 times around the world so that's the difference between something happening exponentially versus something happening linearly and the only reason i say this is because you know on the one hand there is this uh, slow evolution of technology and on the other hand you know if you guys remember in the mid 90s the the whole ge- genome sequencing you know the human genome sequencing there and the first genome apparently was sequenced for 2.7 billion dollars i think the second one was sequenced for 500 million and today you can do it for 1000 dollars and probably as we speak it must have gone down to 500 i don't know you know so i i in my mind sometimes get caught between this you know what we think is practical and what might happen but just imagine you know if you have traversed that distance of on 26 times around the world you don't even know where you will land up it's like you know you know where you will be 30 meters from here but if once you go 26 times around the world you don't know where you are and in fact love for you to try this experiment with your son is that you uh, tell him that uh, i will give you 10 rupees a day for 30 days okay that is option 1 or i will give you 1 paisa a day but doubling every day for 30 days chances are he will choose 10 rupees but mathematically if you give him 1 paisa a day but doubling every day for 30 days he'll have 1 crore at the end of 30 days so that is the craziness of this whole exponential this thing so which is kind of completely blows your mind and i think that the metaverse honestly samira nays one absolutely right? absolutely you're right okay the way it is impacting all of us at multiple levels where it's right? going so, i yes. mean absolutely you're right i yeah. mean yeah. and the funny thing is yes we all know you know we've had enough naysayers talk about the fact that the metaverse is going to become even more isolative and you know we're not going to be doing human interactions and all of that yes i agree with all of that i'm not saying no but from a pure play trend point of view it is now going to get into our personal lives it is going to get into our workspaces it is going to get into all of that you know a linked trend to that nilesh honestly is also the fact that uh, we've been talking about the gig economy for the longest right and uh, i've been a part of the gig economy for a very long time but what i'm realizing now is that more and more people don't want to work for just one company right they want to do multiple things at the same time we've become smart at doing that and things like the metaverse at the workplace which may add to efficiencies but take a, you know also add to the efficiency of no travel more time available to us the way we study all of that is also going to result in people doing multiple things oh yeah yeah and this could right? be a topic of another podcast where i can tell you about how from 2018 what i have done and it's kind of quite crazy it's unplanned i mean in most parts accidental but overall great fun because of the opportunities available just but what you can do by sitting at home i mean it's it's kind of completely crazy and and, and sheetal to your point what i mentioned i mean uh, earlier you know you're absolutely right one is that people want to do different things right and enjoy what they are doing put passion in that the other bit of it is this pandemic has ensured i'm going back to the effort versus result driven architecture of organizations uh, it doesn't really matter anymore that if a person is doing two things till the time the person has committed something to me and it is delivered i really won't hold that against a person if he is doing something else so that acceptance is also uh, is helping this this whole bit um the other interesting thing that i was thinking about right when i was reading about all of these multiple brands which are creating products for the metaverse right i don't know from a environment 
from an ESG perspective, that's going to become more efficient. So ultimately, all of us are going to sit in our homes in shorts and T-shirts. That means we're going to consume less of products. But our avatars are going to have everything which is crazy branded. And think of the Gucci's of the world, which are giving you now a pair of sneakers at $13. And you're saying, hey, listen, my avatar is quite cool. I can be in my most comfy uh, shorts and T-shirts. And, you know, suddenly are you going to become more more efficient? I don't know, even from a clothing point of view. Or no, even no, from, no, Shitala, uh, I think we'll start consuming, I think we'll consume different things. So I, again, you know, just sitting at home, uh, you know, I started off by saying, you know, I'll use a regular headphone. Then I realized we have to do podcasts, so I bought a better headphone. Then I bought a better mic. And uh, then somebody was saying, oh, you know, we'll at the end of the day, we love to go back to the studio. I think at the end of the day, my house will become a big studio because, you know, I'll have bought so many other things and gadgets and you know, I want to buy a bigger desktop and stuff like that. So it's, it's I think consumption patterns may shift, but maybe it will remain the same. Who knows? Should we, should we hold the companies that if you want to invest in the metaverse, and this is something that is a conversation that's happening parallelly in one of the, the groups of women that I'm a part of, right? And everybody wants... Um, that's the other thing about the metaverse, right? It is one of those trends which has triggered off a lot of interest where, we, you know, especially amongst the women, I don't know about the men, you can kind of add to it, but, um, that, you know, you've always felt like there's been, you've missed out on a whole bunch of tech stuff, right? You've not invested in the right companies. You never got, um, like, uh, you've never really done tokens and you've never really bought crypto and all of that and you feel oh god i lost out on those millions and there is this whole sense of i don't want to miss out of this metaverse trend right so i had um, a couple of companies that i think uh, people should and can put money into on the metaverse but should we do this now or should we do this a little later in the podcast uh, i don't really know what do you guys think we should keep it for yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely in fact one of the things uh, we just jumping is that uh, you know english one of the things that we keep hearing is this lack of uh, trust in algorithms or lack of you know how do you build trust or digital trust in things like the metaverse and i think this whole area of either a enhanced or an alternate trust framework is going to be one of the bedrocks of you know anything we develop in the future you know how do we as we go more virtual as we have algorithms control everything how do we build the many to many trust factor which is kind of in a sense violated by what we have heard in facebook and lesser known but you know i mean i'm sure google and the others do the same thing so you know uh, i think that's another thing that's waiting to happen or needs to happen so you know what are you hearing about the whole world of uh, trust and you know this whole decentralized uh, piece so, I mean, I must thank our canine friend Toffee for not leaving decentralization out <laughs> because that is kind of our bread and butter. But so, Toffee no. loves you. Okay, that's it. I don't know about Samiran, but she loves you. So, she gives you all the love. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. So, the you know, in, in a different avatar, blockchain has been a trend for some time. And you uh, put it very correctly, Samiran. Let's call it trust architecture. Within trust architecture, probably I'll speak about a few things uh, as, a, as a trend because it's a broader you know, topic. In terms of trust architecture, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, DAOs, right? Decentralized Autonomous Organization. 
and uh, DAOs have done extremely well in definitely US uh, in 2021, right? We in India we have not seen it so much because of multiple reasons. I mean, we'll not get into that. We spoke about it in regulations and other areas, but uh, this whole uh, piece of trust architecture DAOs has taken off big time, especially in in US, uh, catching up in Europe. Uh, I heard recently something very interesting, something called Constitution DAO. Right. So Constitution DAO is a company which raised money for selling Constitution of US. Selling Constitution of US means owning Constitution of US. And they raised in record time, they raised 47 million, if I'm not mistaken, it's 40 plus million number Constitution DAO. Now, what it does is it shows two things. One is this whole, uh, you know, whole uh, kind of web 2.0 Kickstarter versus web 3.0 DAOs, right? Both are ways of raising uh, funds, but their their mechanics are very different. Now, what this web 3.0 DAO does is it provides fractionalization, fractional ownership. And this is catching up big time. And when we, we talked about it a little bit during our this episode of uh, crypto and regulations, which was tokenization, right? So, uh, Sheetal, you mentioned about how we missed a bandwagon. And now suddenly you have access to owning something like a constitution of US, right? And, and you know, uh, see how your ownership grows over the period of time. So this fractionalization is also kind of a side trend when we talk of uh, this trust architecture. Other thing that comes out of this trust architecture, and I briefly mentioned Web 3.0, what I what I'm seeing as a trend, and I think it will continue, is that today Web 3.0 in, is in an area which is more like a debate of definitions, right? So, what do I mean by Web 3.0 versus what you mean by Web 3.0? I have a feeling that in coming years the narrative will change, and you will actually be talking of what can be done with Web 3.0. It won't be about, you know, my definition versus your definition. You believe decentralization is Web 3.0 while someone else will say, no, blockchain is, def- I mean, has to be Web 3.0 and not just decentralized. So you think this will be like a Arab Spring kind of movement like that consumers will demand 3.0 because it will give them more control over their data? Or you think it will be like a enterprise push to provide better service? I, I think, I think it will be... Uh, both, but first starting with the change in narrative. Why, why I'm saying this change, uh, changing narrative is that right now we have been talking of Web 3.0 as a concept, but I see now some real world uh, use cases coming up. One of them is, you know, you would have heard about this company called Alchemy, right? And I'm, I'm taking it, uh, they may or may not call themselves, again, definitions, they may not call themselves Web 3.0 or whatever, but Alchemy is, I think, worth $3 billion or something a unicorn in US, and they are trying to be a decentralized AWS, right? Uh, similarly, we are in a testnet right now. You know, it's not completely in production, but our community is hosting small one-page websites free of cost on our testnet nodes, right? What it means is it's not centrally governed, okay? It may be a free or a freemium kind of a model, but you can host uh, your websites. You can You can do... Uh, in in our case, it's mostly limited to websites right now. But Alchemy is building something which is a kind of a AWS, but in a decentralized world. So so now what you're looking at is decentralization, autonomous organization, a DAO governing kind of a hosting platform which is similar to Amazon, right? So this is I in my mind a trust ar- real trust architecture coming into picture. 
you asked a question, Samiran, will it be uh, on demand of consumers or will it be pushed by enterprise? I think when I said both, I think the amount of interest I saw in our community for web hosting was amazing. One is the fact that you know, it is free of cost. The second is, you know, there is this whole sense of freedom. We can come to the censorship and governance aspect later, but there is this whole freedom of doing what you want to do and using the internet for what it was meant for, right? Which is democratized knowledge, democratized governance and and stuff like that. So I think uh, this trust architecture, Web 3.0, is a trend which will remain. It will start with probably the consumer demand for it. It will grow because of the venture money and enterprises that start investing in. So we already see that Web 3.0 is a buzz amongst venture capitalists and people are you know, looking at good projects which provide this kind of a trust architecture and they are investing in it. Anderson Horowitz has, has multiple investments in that area. And we'll see more unicorns kind of coming up in, in this whole trust architecture. You know, so Samir and I personally think that uh, the consumer drive is going to come much later because there is a certain learning curve that the consumer needs to go through before they are able to a, feel the impact of the shift in technology, right? So we all adopted to Facebook and Google and all very quickly because that was easy. It was only almost a decade later that we started realizing as consumers, forget the tech world, but as consumers, consumers start realizing the repercussions of it only after a certain learning curve, right? And my sense is that while the learning curve will be sharper, I still don't think that it is sharp enough for uh, the consumers to drive uh, no, no, it as I, much. No. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about So, in fact, one yeah. of the things I feel, uh, Nirish, which this whole thing about Web3 always fascinates me is this, that, you know, for the longest, not for the longest, but for some time now, we've been thinking about how our data has been used and we have been exploited and all of that. So, I think that I see two things here. One is that, you know, if it is giving us more control over our data, which we've kind of discussed many times, you know, that, you know, can I really decide who uses my health data versus my phone number, whether versus my gender? So, you know, I, I get control over that. So that is probably one thing. And number two, this thing has always been stuck in my head is that, you know, this this whole world out there about number like a 1 billion people without identity and close to 3 billion people without a good digital identity, which can be used on the internet. And for whatever reason, because of our centralized method of providing it, we have not been able to reach all of them. So the reason I was approaching the consumer and was saying that, you know, is there a way to, if we can solve that, then it, it's like good for commerce overall. Now, everybody has an identity. Amazon can sell to everyone and Apple can sell to everyone. So maybe that that is the technology that maybe we have been waiting to come along that will solve both the security of the individual versus the spread of the identity for the masses. Very true. And I think, uh, you know, this is the area where it's very apt for a DAO kind of a... Because you don't want another uh, giant being created out of this need, right? So it, the trust, this whole trust architecture where you need this decentralized is a given. While we can talk about this at length, you know, <laughs> I am itching to know the investment <laughs> strategies from Sheetal Jobsi. <laughs> <laughs> but um, really, I, I know we've covered three trends which we truly believe um, there is enough data to support the fact that these three, three trends are going to happen. Let's quickly kind of look at some of the other interesting uh, trends that have been put up by various people, right? So um, like you were talking about, Nilesh, we are going to see a lot of investments and shifts into audio engineering, right? 
Uh, we are going to see investments into real time translations, etc. So there is that is going to be one trend. I don't think we that that's a trend that has been covered really a lot in uh, what I call the classical uh, trend predicting uh, publications. Right, so it's one of those trends. I loved your uh, the the other trend that you talked about, which is the rise of futurism, right? And the whole we believed in the fact that we would be man in space in the 60s, 70s, whatever, and there was so much more enthusiasm around it. And now we're going back to it with Elon Musk and the Bezos of the world now telling us that we can colonize Mars. You know, so that is coming back. The whole rise of futurism, and suddenly movies have become real for us, right? We were talking about going into space and Mars and all of that. And now suddenly there are companies which are actually going to take you into space and Mars. and all. So that's the second trend. I think another trend which the visual capitalist has pulled out from its various analysis is the creator economy and uh, people like us, right, uh, who not really done a lot of other creations are getting into the creator economy and that's going to be flourishing big time. Uh, so I'm seeing more and more people becoming creators of a whole bunch of things. What we covered in our crypto podcast is really another trend which is coming in, right? Regulation is coming for crypto. And we talked about the need for regulation and things like that in crypto. And if I look at it, you know, so many of the cryptocurrencies have lost traction recently. Like there's been a loss of 50%. And I think that kind of makes it come even more inevitable that there is going to be regulation in crypto. We are going to be hearing a lot more about NFTs and Web3. You've covered Web3.0, but NFTs, which we've covered earlier, is also going to come back. I think from a fintech point of view, BNPL is going to become a big trend, right? Everybody's talking about it. So if I look at just a little extension from tech to fintech, then BNPL is um, the thing. So now before I close... You know, so I was reading up and I'm one of those few who's been looking at saying which tech company should I invest in and things like that. And uh, every time I read up on the metaverse and say, okay, should I invest in a company which is invested in the metaverse? There are four or five names which seem to come. Guys, please correct me if you think I've got any of them wrong or if I've missed out on some really interesting ones. So I think the ones that people are talking about is Roblox, of course. There is NVIDIA. So there's um, Tencent. There is Unity Software. Uh, there is Autodesk. There is Microsoft. There's Meta, of course. And um, what caught me by surprise, and um, I'd love to get your point of view on it, was Qualcomm. So I don't know if either of you has a point of view on that. But these seem to be more or less the companies that one is saying you should invest in. Of course, I'm putting my money behind Roblox and NVIDIA. I don't know about you. So Roblox is very good because, uh, I mean, I have to tell you this, that in uh, like we talked about that whole chart, right, where we kind of come in the top trend, as, as our podcast says, you know, from the creators of Unblock. So when you kind of go and click on that link, it kind of takes you to the Roblox site. So maybe Roblox is synonymous <laughs> with Unblocks. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> But yeah, on the Qualcomm thing, I think it, it's kind of going to be one of the building blocks because it's just just to build the technology. So uh, they may not do anything directly on the metaverse, but they will power it for sure. Those were the top five, seven companies that I think people should put money behind, of course. Uh, if you guys lose money, it's not on me. Please do your research. This is not a podcast which tells you where to invest your money. If you liked what we covered today, and if you think that there are some of the trends that we spoke about, which you want to kind of get more our perspective on why they are the trends that we've picked, 
we are happy to another podcast on just covering the specific trends. So please do write into us, put it in our reviews, etc. And we'll be happy to kind of cover those trends for you. Nilesh, Samiran, I'm going to bring this episode to an end on that note. Um, so thank you very much, uh, everyone, for listening in on this podcast. We hope that you enjoyed our Trends podcast. If you liked our banter, please share this episode. Don't forget to follow the show. We are available on all major platforms. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please, please do leave us a review and a rating. It helps our podcast grow. And uh, we'd love to stay in the trending podcast. So every time that you listen to our podcast, you're helping us achieve that. Catch up with you next time. We're going to do another very interesting topic for you. So until the next time, see you guys.